Congratulations. What does that mean? It got cold and their clock froze or something. Come on, John. <laughs> You're way in the back. <laughs> Come closer. Oh, nice job, Abrams. Up on the red couch. Thanks, friends. I just had to harass you a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Now, now we have legitimate hipsters in the front. Yes, I was one of the single people that sat on that couch back in the day. Oh, my gosh. I was in elementary school 30 years ago, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Quinn, are you the oldest one in the room, or is her? <laughs> That's funny. Okay, announcements as I'm drinking coffee. Like super ironic that we have ham. Considering Jews would be like, no, no. no bueno. No. John is no bueno with the ham. <laughs> he would not. He would probably eat a lamb instead. That's sort of inceptiony, isn't it, John? <laughs> I'm not sure. You want a tofurkey? Well, very good. All right, you guys, you can all have your little fights about what kind of protein we're, we're serving. Cool. So we need to get back to Rachel as to whether people are going to be around. Okay, cool plan. So that needs to happen sooner rather than later because Easter is in two weeks. Yeah, so like this week, we need to know. So Kim, we have women's group on Wednesday. We do here. Yes. At six. At six, and, and someone will be bringing food. Someone, a mystery someone. I don't know yet. I thought we had planned it. I don't remember. Did we? I thought we did. It was Joe. <laughs> 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 it was me last week. And I told her Wednesday. I'm kidding. Town, so. <laughs> Sorry. I did bring it last time though. I'll bring it. It was Haley. Bring it. I'll do it. Thank you, Haley. Scones. <laughs> we're we have scones for dinner. Yeah. Excellent. So, ladies, six o'clock is when we eat. If you can't get here by then, seven o'clock is when we do our spiritual practice, which I haven't decided what we're doing to, on Wednesday. But I was thinking, since the time has changed, that maybe we would do one of our outdoor things. So, we'll have light again because there's a couple of outdoor practices we haven't done, and we've skipped because it's dark. So. Quinn's looking quizzically at me. Okay. Cool. Anything else? We're going to be doing stuff during Holy Week on uh, Thursday and Good Friday.
So we'll give you more information about that next week. Rachel, do we have palms for Palm Sunday? We are going to have palms next week. So feel free to swat your neighbor. That's what the kids do with them anyway. Any other announcements, thoughts, prayer requests? We need to pray for the newels and their yurt. Their yurt. What, what happened? What did they They're on their way. Nothing major. I think it just got cold last night and something froze. I think she said her clock. <laughs> well, I think she's probably being funny. I hope so. That's a really strange thing to freeze. <laughs> I mean, I suppose batteries could quit working, but I don't think it was that cold last night. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's pray. Okay, we thank you so much for this beautiful sunshine today, for the joy that it brings us, um, the reminder that we are closer to the sun and closer to spring and summer um, and the warm temperatures. Okay, we thank you for the reminders that come with spring of resurrection and new life and that celebration of you in this time. God, I pray that as we continue to dig deeper into uh, your path to the cross and to the resurrection today, that we would be renewed and um, God, that we would find hopefulness in difficult circumstances in this text today. God, we thank you so much for gathering us together as a body of believers. We thank you for um, bringing us hope and life in one another. We pray for those that are traveling now for spring break or for people that are not with us because of illness, God. I pray that they would uh, feel your love and experience your healing. Lord, just uh, continue to give us vision and hope and um, perspective on how you would have us to serve and love one another in our neighborhood and our city. God, help us to be good stewards of all that you have given us, Lord, that we may be the servants that you've called us to be. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Awesome. So we're continuing our journey in John today, and it took me forever to come up with the title, and so fear and loathing in Jerusalem, because we're continuing with this um, kind of interesting story of the trial of Jesus with Pilate. Uh, Herb started that with us last week, and so this is kind of the continuation of that story. And so why don't we just dive into the reading? Um, I might call on you to read, just so you know. So, Haley, because Hayden's yawning. Yeah, this is Paige.
Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Luke. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not do you not know what I have the power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on Pilate tried to tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. John? When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Cavern, or in Hebrew, Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. This is a whole bunch of crazy in this text in so many ways, but I want to center in and focus on um, really the characters of Pilate, who is our reluctant Roman, um, and then Jesus, and then also the Jewish authorities. These are the, the folks that we're going to pay all the most attention to. I mean, Pilate is clearly the protagonist of this text. He is the one that kind of leads all the action. Um, and we saw last week that he's already talked to Jesus, and he's talked to the Jewish authorities, and he's like, are you really sure you want this robber, insurrectionist, Barabbas guy to be released? Are you really sure you want this guy who's actually doing the thing that you're accusing Jesus of doing to be released instead of Jesus. Um, I think he's, Pilate's thinks that there's not a lot of evidence to convict Jesus to death, to condemn him to die, but he's not really ready to make that call. Um, he's just on the fence. And he doesn't really want to have anything to do with what's going on. He's trying, every, at every chance, he's talking to Jesus and is like, are you, and then trotting him back out to the Jewish authorities. So you're, you're sure, you're, you're really, really sure. And back and forth and back and forth. He just doesn't know how to respond. He wants to keep his authority, but at the same time, he's conflicted. He's not really sure how to respond to what's going on. Um, but in a, a lot of ways, he's just being used by the Jewish authorities because the Jews can't enact this crucifixion death penalty on their own. They have to have the Romans to do it for them because it's against the law for the Jews to bring forth that penalty. They have to have the civil authority to do it for them. So here we are with Pilate's like, I guess that would be his emoji. I don't know. I don't know. He's anxious. He's afraid. He's confused. And then we have Jesus. 
You would think Jesus would be the one to be anxious and afraid and confused. He is the one who is on trial, but he is cutting a totally different figure in this text. He's basically silent for almost all of the verses that we read through. Um, he's asked many questions, but doesn't respond to several of them. The only one he did respond to is when Pilate is threatening him and saying, well, I'm the, I have this authority to kill you. And Jesus is like, well, no, you've only been given this authority because the greater authority is my Father in heaven, and he gives you that authority to be able to do the thing that you are supposed to do for this time. You know, he's, he's the guy who's being flogged. He's given that crown of thorns and the purple robe, and they're mocking him as the king. But in John's text, which is different than the Matthew and Luke text of the scene, Jesus stays in this kingly garb. Because John's trying to make a statement about Jesus as the king. So even in the midst of all of this craziness, this political intrigue, the back and forth, the abuse, Jesus remains solid, humble, and in control. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And what it turns out to be is that he is the one who's judging the people that are judging him. He is the one who's judging the Jewish authorities. He is the one who is judging Pilate. Um, some of the translations of verse 13, we're going to go back and look at here at the end. So it says, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement or Hebrew Gabbatha. So some translations of this text, they work on like what kind of verb tense is happening there. So you see, it says, he brought Jesus outside and sat. Well, who's sitting? There's a little ambiguity in the way that the sentence is written about who is sitting. But some translators say that Pilate, because he's trying to undermine the Jewish authorities, sits Jesus in this judgment seat. That he is the judge where Pilate should be sitting. Jesus is sitting. So that's kind of some interesting little political intrigue. That Jesus is like dripping with blood because he's been flogged. He's got these thorns on his head. He's got this ripped purple robe on him. Even though he is a tattered and torn king, he is still a king. He's still a judge. And his influence and authority goes well beyond what Pilate thinks he has as the Roman procurator and what the Jewish authorities have as being in charge of the Jewish people. He has, has risen to the occasion even though he has not put himself into that occasion. But the thing that stood out to me the most in this passage is Pilate's response to Jesus or Pilate's response to the Jewish authorities when they say they charge him with saying that he is the Son of God, and said Pilate was filled with fear. Literally, the first thing that stuck out to me when I read that I was like, "Fear! This guy is in charge of all of Jerusalem. Why is he afraid? What What do you think? What do you guys think? Why would Pilate be so afraid?" He doesn't know what's going to happen to him? Sure. Why else could he be afraid? Well, if he also believes that Jesus is the Son of God or the King, then he could 
be facing you know, the repercussions of killing the son of God. You know? Right. So he could be worried about, is this, this could be true. So what could happen to me if I'm actually following through with what I've been asked to do? Yes, Steve. I think there is maybe also some fear that, you know, he's kind of in a remote outpost with the Roman legion. So it probably wasn't like a, he was probably already on thin ice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he can't control these people and keep them from rioting, then there's maybe political ramifications for him. Yes. The Romans. Absolutely. So he is like every member of Donald Trump's cabinet right now. <laughs> I'm wondering whether or not they still have a job, but also if if there is this total overthrow of the government in Jerusalem, clearly he could his life and the lives of many others are at stake. Yeah, because I was thinking that too that if he if he crucifies Jesus, then maybe Jesus' followers will rise up. But if he releases Barabbas, there's always that chance that he's going to start his revolution again. And it's like he's kind of in a spot where he can't really win. Yeah. Like, I think what, what Pilate is seeing it is as a zero-sum game. But I think Jesus keeps trying to give him an opportunity to believe. You know, I really see their conversation a lot like Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus and the story of the rich young ruler, where Jesus is trying to give them an opportunity to let go of what they know and, uh, and embrace this new kingdom, but they just can't make that decision. They just can't get over that hump to trust Jesus for if he is who he says he is. Um, So basically, you guys hit on all the things I came up with. So what was he afraid of? That the Jewish authorities would lead a rebellion against Rome? That he would lose his position if he let Jesus go? That Jesus actually was who he said he was? Um, but we don't know the answer. It could have been a combination of all of those things. But Pilate let his fear guide his decision to follow through with that request for crucifixion. You know, the Jew Jewish authorities were very afraid. As well, you know, they saw the crowds that Jesus was gathering together. They, you know, witnessed uh, the scene in the temple where he's clearing off the tables. A lot of the the things that he was speaking about that were in opposition to what their understanding of the law was. Um, they did not want Jesus to be the Messiah because if Jesus was the Messiah, this kingdom that he was professing turned over their power. They didn't get to be in authority anymore. Jesus would be the ultimate authority, and that was not what they wanted to happen. And so they sold their soul to the devil in a lot of ways. So by the end of this text, we get the Jewish authorities swearing allegiance to the emperor in order to be able to get what they want. They're, um, they're committing idolatry. They're violating the Ten Commandments in order to perceive that they could keep the power that they so cherished. It's really ugly in so many ways. So when we're confronted with our own loss of power or authority, we're also afraid if we really admit it to ourselves. When we are losing control in situations, we're afraid. We're afraid of doing the hard thing or the lowly thing or the unpopular thing. 
So to paraphrase a commentary I read, when we are afraid, when we are afraid, we choose what is powerful, pragmatic, and expedient. We become cruel. We refuse to see God in our midst. We refuse to accept grace, and we end up making the alliances with people and institutions that seem to be antithetical to our values. We know what it's like to make the choices that Pilate and the Jewish authorities made. Um, we can stand in their shoes. We can do that. And so it's because of that fear and those choices that we make that we are condemned. Pilate was condemned by his choices. The Jewish authorities were condemned by their choices. Because we don't choose to see Jesus for who he really is. To receive that grace that's been extended to us. So we also are condemned. But that's not the end of the story. And I know that this is like not an Easter message, but I'm going to go there. <laughs> because we don't get to stay in our condemnation. So just as Jesus promised, he was lifted up. He prophesied that he would be lifted up just like Moses lifted the snake in the desert. But he was lifted up on a cross. But being lifted up on that cross allowed him to be lifted up as the resurrected Christ. And it's because of that cross that even when we live out of fear and are condemned, as Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. The judgment has been removed. Jesus loves and forgives us when we fail, and his love gives us the courage to say no to fear. So we're not stuck with this fear. Like We don't have to continuously, mechanistically be driven by our fear and act out of that fear, because we can draw from the Holy Spirit within us that helps us to see and step out into that unknown, to step out into those spaces where we're not really sure what the result will be, but we're not just sicking bank into our old behaviors because they feel comfortable. We can harness that spirit power, the power that Christ has given us through that resurrection to be renewed, to do the new thing, to do the hard thing, to not be sucked in by our fear of losing control, our fear of becoming someone different than we used to be, because Christ has given us a power, not of fear, of joy, and of overcoming, and of resurrecting, and of being able to do the impossible thing, because Jesus did the impossible thing. So when we let go of the way of self-preservation, we can say no to all the things that end up screwing us over in the end, we know that when we go back to our old ways, that it's like dust in our mouths, like the Proverbs say. It's not as satisfying as we think it will be. It's not as satisfying as we have it built up in our minds that it will be. So when we say no to those old things, and we put on this new self that we've been given because of Christ, we have the opportunity to live life to the full to have the kind of life that Jesus said that we would have when we embrace that resurrection power. And then because of that, we can welcome other people to join us. You know, we don't 
share our stories of life when we're living lives of death. When you're stuck in the middle of your muck and your mire, you're not telling these great stories about who Christ is. It's when you're actually living into these hope and resurrection moments that you are overflowing. Just like the woman at the well that I preached about a couple weeks ago. She was overflowing with what Christ had brought to her. And she couldn't help but tell the story of what Christ had done and who he is and what he offered for her. So when we embrace the new thing, we get to celebrate with Christ and that the ways of death no longer have victory over us. Jesus was calm and cool and collected when everyone around him was anxious and power-hungry and thinking about the world in the sense of a certain finite pie that has to be sliced out and you only get what you get. Jesus understands the world as something that's infinite, that God's love is infinite and everlasting and for all people. And so he wasn't concerned about this way of death that people were putting him through. Because for him, death wasn't the end. Because he had victory over death. So today, when we come to the table, we're going to celebrate the life and forgiveness that is brought to us. The power of the resurrection, of the joy, the possibility of renewal that we can choose to receive or we can choose to reject. We can reject that life just like Pilate did, like Nicodemus did like these religious leaders did, because we're afraid of the new thing. We can choose to reject Jesus, and he says, go ahead. He gives us that choice. But if we choose to receive Christ, to receive his joy and his new kingdom, and to live in that way, we receive that abundant life. That heaven kind of experience starts now. This is not something that lasts and will be often forever, when we die? No. This is stuff that starts now when we receive and embrace the love of Christ. And the fact that what we see before us is just an image. It is not reality. The reality is that Christ has overcome death. He has broken sin. And he has renewed us all. So that was probably the fastest message I've ever given outside of like stuff that I had to read at the Moravian Church. But I feel like this text is one of those things where we have to embrace Christ as lifted up. We cannot get stuck in our own brokenness and the brokenness of others around us. When we walk as Jesus walked, in humility, Christ gives us peace in difficult circumstances and helps us to see and to know that this is not the whole story. This is only a part of the story. But the true story comes in the resurrection life and the cross. So as we come to this table today celebrating Christ's death and resurrection, we celebrate that meal where he broke the bread and said, this is my body given for you. And we dip this bread in the juice and remember that this represents his blood that was shed for us. So come to the table rejoicing, receiving his body and his blood, knowing that this is not the end of the story. And whatever you are struggling with today, Christ is with you. 
even if you are afraid, even if you are running away from things that God is calling you to confront, Christ is with you, and you are given the power to overcome by the power of his blood in the resurrection. So come and taste and see what the Lord has done for you. Amen. Oh,